So welcome along to this sermon extended for the Sunday the 25th of March. You'll have noticed that there has been a few Sundays missing and that is because I wasn't on for those Sundays. I wasn't taking those services and so I'm going to mention briefly a little bit about those two sermons shortly and then we'll focus mostly on this Sunday past the Sunday the 25th of March which was Palm Sunday. And so, and so, we'll, and so we'll think so we'll think about Monday and all it means. The two Sundays previous, I was delighted to have on the 11th of March, we had Padraig Otuama along with us. Padraig is the leader of the Corrymeela community. He is involved in a number of uh, things. He does that. He writes books. He writes poetry. You can go on to his website, which is www.padraigotuama.com. Uh, and I will just check that now for you. And yes, it is padraigotuama.com. P-A-D-R-A-I-G-O-2-T-U-M. AMA.com. That's hard to even spell. Uh, but Padraig was along with us for that Sunday and shared about the lepers, the, the 10 lepers. Uh, and then the following Sunday, on the 18th of March, we had the Reverend Malcolm Scott, who joins us many Sundays. He is married to Joan Scott, who was one of the former ministers of Gardnerville, uh, who st- both still attend with us. So we're delighted to have Malcolm come along and share with us um, Luke chapter 18, 1 to 8, on the persistent widow. I'm just going to talk briefly about those, about some of the points that came out of those, and then we'll move into this Sunday's past, which was the the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, or Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So the first which Padraig looked at was Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, which was the ten healed of leprosy. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And there's so much in that, uh, and I probably should have done a podcast on that, really. But briefly, we could look at a couple of points. We could look at the fact that their pain, their suffering unites them. This isn't a community, a group of lepers of the same faith, the same understanding, the same theology. This was a group of different, unique people. If they were all the same, why would Jesus have said, no one came except this foreigner. Obviously, the rest of them were Jewish, or we can assume that there were some who were Jews in that, so Jesus would have expected them to come back and give praise to God and thank him for what he has done. But he says, no, this foreigner comes back to me. So it was a mixed group, and we can see in that that somehow this leprosy, this ailment, this disease, the fact that they were cast to the edges of their society, unified them in ways that other things had divided them. And we can see that in pain in our own lives or in the lives of those people we know where where there would have been difference, where there would have been disunity, where there would have been division, where there would have been barriers and hostility. There is often something which comes in pain, grief, any of those things that unites, which goes beyond and above those differences and actually brings those people together and forms a, bonds, forms a tight bond, forms a tight little community who were all suffering from this and all felt the pain and who could relate in that sense to other in ways that others couldn't. We also notice that Jesus, unlike other times when he heals people, doesn't go over and touches them. He doesn't go over and like do anything to them physically. He simply tells them to go from a distance. 
And we wonder, well, why does he do that? Why does he stay at a distance? Is, does he fear in some way of this leprosy? And as Podrick pointed out, it's not actually to do with Jesus, but this is about the respect that these people would have had for the law and for the regulations and for those people, and especially Jesus. They go to him, but they don't want to force themselves upon them or in some way contaminate him because they see themselves in that way. But from a distance, they shout and respectfully, and you can imagine if Jesus moved closer to them in a weird way, they would have kept moving away to ensure they kept the strict distance that was in the law. The other word that Podrig drew up for us was the word for thanks, which comes from the Greek verb eucharistio, the verb meaning give thanks, be thankful primarily in the context of giving thanks to God. It says people give thanks to Christ for healing them in Luke chapter 17, 16, which is this passage we're looking at. That eucharistio, we will recognize as Podrig reminded us, the Eucharist, Mass, Communion, Holy Communion, the Lord's table, whatever way you want to call it, whatever phrase you want to put upon that feast and that celebration, that is Eucharist, that is Eucharistio, that is giving thanks. And so he drew out this idea that how do we commune, how do we thank, how do we Eucharist with other people when they are different from us, when they aren't like us, when they have differences, when there are divisions and hostility, how do we Eucharist with them and we have to view it in the same way as, as us coming to the table with God, we Eucharist with God, we give thanks to God. And so how do we do that in a, in a human form with other humans? How do we relate in that way? How do we Eucharist with other people? And then Malcolm looked at chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. And we've been going through the book of Luke, so you'll hopefully have read these in the interim. But we looked at chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, when Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice unquickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And Malcolm took this on a very personal note. He shared some of his stories, some of the things that he had been through, and this idea that God cares, that God will look after us in the same way that this judge eventually kind of was worn down by this persistent widow. God is the opposite of that. God doesn't wait to be worn down. God doesn't wait until you're pleading continually with him, but God will seek and bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. And that cry out to him day and night was the phrase that Malcolm uh, felt connected to, felt a sense of resonance with that reminded him of the, the trials and problems that he had been through and shared those with us. And so it was a very moving and very personal approach and sermon about his time and about God, how God had been there for him who, when he cried out day and night. On a personal note from me, that passage was one as we went through the book of Luke and coming to the end of Luke, I gave out to a group a, a little sheet asking them for some of their comments on the passages, asking them what the most enjoyable passage was, asking them what the passage was that had the most impact about what this tells us about Jesus and his 
manifesto or his ethos or his the way going about his work um, and for me the passage that had most impact on me was that passage was the persistent widow because at the very start it says then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show parable parabello, parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up and it was that little bit that stuck with me this persistent widow persists this widow keeps going and keeps bothering the judge and he eventually just gives in, eventually will just stop her wearing him out, gives in to her request. And that spoke to me because through this book of Luke so far, in that how often do I pray for things and actually keep persisting? How often am I asked to pray for things? And I will pray for those things for a while, but maybe something else comes along and it kind of, it's like a scale of you put something in the top and the thing at the bottom falls out. There's only space for so much. Uh, and if you put something else in, something else has to drop out. And that's often how I work. You can only hold so much without it falling out another year. And how often then do I persist in something and really persist? How often do you persist in something and really persist? Do you pray continually? Do you pray uh, and not give up? How far do you go before you or I or we then go, oh, well, God's not going to do that. And we just kind of give up and we move on to the next thing that we would like or we would want or our desire has. How often do we pray for the one thing continually? Do we do it for a week? Do we do it for a month? Do we do it even for a year? Do we do it for a lifetime? And if we are to do that, if we are to persist in prayer and not give up, what is that thing? What would you choose if you had to choose one, what would it be? Would it be something very specific? Would it be something generic? Would it be for your children? Would it be for your loved ones? Would it be for your family? Would it be for friends? Would it be for a work situation? What is the one thing that you could pick to persist in prayer? Even, let's let's try it, we've, we've, we're coming to the end of Lent now, so we won't, can't do it over Lent. But let's take it until the summertime let's take it until the end of june what one thing will you pick what one will you one thing will you pick and share with somebody maybe it's with me maybe it's with other people maybe you'll just write it down maybe you'll keep a note of it and pray for it continually pray for it persistently keep at it and not give up and that's the little challenge i'll set for you and for me uh, until the end of june and we'll see what happens by the end of the june and maybe then we'll take something for the rest of the year and we'll we'll keep going and building up our persistence to build up this muscle that we have it's not a quality trait that we possess in a character it's something that we grow it's something that we build it's something that we strengthen and persistence is, is that so that's a thought on those two I, i'm kind of rushing through them i know but we want to get to pam sunday i don't, don't want to keep you too long in this podcast ever but we looked at Pam Sunday on Sunday, obviously. Um, there were two services on Sunday. We had a morning service and an evening service. And I was sharing at the evening service in the Church of Ireland. We have a, have a joint there with them, which is great. It's a great witness, witness to our community. It's a, a great idea. There are, are two churches, Presbyterian and the Church of Ireland, very close to each other. And there's a lot of space around us before you get to the ne next churches. So it's very important for me and it's very important for us as churches to unite together especially around these big festivals and the christian celebrations and think about and um think about christ and his sacrifice to do certain things if you're free on friday morning we're going to go for a prayer walk and we're going to take the cross around the community a, an outward sign 
of what we believe this time of year is all about, about the importance of it, about the unity of it that we have as communities and as churches. So that on Sunday evening when I was sharing with them, the, the Gospels are all different forms, they're all different nuances, they're all different ideas, but this is one of the times when they all converge. We look at Matthew and it in a way is a walking through Jesus as he tells his disciples that they are to become disciple makers and it finishes with that call in the end of Matthew to go out and make disciples and so it's a journey for his disciples almost that's focused on in Mark. It's a journey of his identity and who his identity is to everybody and anybody in terms of showing who Jesus is and look as we've mentioned it's a journey to and from meals and so it's this journey where he always is coming from a meal or going to a meal and they mark that in the book of John gospel of John it's journeys to and from Jerusalem at the festivals and the time of years that all Jews and Jesus as a Jew as a good observant Jew goes up and down to Jerusalem but they all converge over this which is the triumphal entry the entry of the king the entry that Jesus makes into Jerusalem which is a strange entry but yet not strange as well in Zechariah 9 verse 9 we hear of the coming king and in fact I'll read that to you now give me two seconds to look it up so it says in verse 9 of chapter 9 of Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this idea that the king, their king would come on a donkey was no new idea. Normally kings, if they came in a sign of war, if they were coming for warfare, would come on a horse and a chariot and in, in kind of big show of power. If they were coming in peace, they would come on a donkey. And so nowadays we think of donkeys as kind of animals that we don't, you know, don't pay much, too much attention to. It's kind of the joke animal, whereas, joke horse that is, um, whereas in those days it, it was something that a king rode in a sign of peace. It was symbolic of something. And there's various times in the Old Testament where prophets use lots of symbolism to enforce what they have been saying and so Jesus here is enforcing something is symbolizing something that he has been saying to his disciples for a long time and that is that he comes in peace but we also read from Zechariah that the Jews they were oppressed by Romans they had this empire kind of forcing them into labor they had this empire who were taxing them massively there were some of the Jews who had found ways of getting in on the money. They were tax collectors and that's why they were hated because they were working on behalf of the Romans to extort money and to go around getting these taxes, which were massive taxes on the people, all for the Romans. So some people had worked out a little niche. Some people had worked out this kind of little way of finding good jobs and happiness and fulfillment in what they were doing but the rest of the people waited for this day this promise of the coming king who would come not simply just in a, in a sign of oh look at me I'm the king but to come as a king in warfare to come as a king to kick out the Romans to give them their land back to lift these taxes to allow them to enjoy the promised land that they had been promised that they had entered into but which had been taken away from them so their cry to God their persistent cry would have been for the Messiah, as this person was known, to come and free them from their slavery, from their oppression, from the boot of the Roman Empire. That was the expectation that many had. Some of them were quite happy with how it was all going. They had kind of settled. Nothing had happened for hundreds of years. God hadn't answered these cries. And so it was a case of, well, we just kind of have to get on with it. And so 
Some had settled, but there were still those who cried out, who had the expectation of what would come. And on Sunday past, we were thinking about the expectation and reality. In our lives, we have expectations which often aren't met. We have those expectations of what things will happen or how things will turn out. And often they're not met. And that's what we see in the story of the triumphal entry. These people come out and put out their palm branches and cry Hosanna and glorify God and do all these wonderful things. And they say, as I'm just trying to flick over the page to get to it, they say, they say, they say, they say, oh, come on, page, turn over. There we go. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here is our king. Here is the answer to our problem. Here is the solution. Here is the one who comes who's going to kick out the Romans. Here is the one who's going to free us from our taxes. Take the boot of oppression off our necks and bring us into the promised land. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew he was coming on peace on this donkey, but they were expecting this king to come in the name of the Lord to free them. That was their expectation, but of course, over the coming days of Holy Week and into Holy Week, we see that that isn't what happens. The reality of what happened was very different from their expectation, and that's why in a few weeks we'll be thinking about the road to a mess when two people walk away from the whole scenario they had high expectations of what would happen and the reality is very, very different. And because the reality isn't as good as they see their expectation being, they walk away disappointed. And so for them, the expectation didn't meet the reality. And for us, and that's all I'm going to say about the passage, that's all we're going to look at it, but for us, what is our expectation and how does that reality fit in? Maybe of our, our workplace or the things that have happened to us in our workplace. Maybe of people that we've loved and have let us down. Often our expectations of what would or should or could happen often fall when it comes to the reality of what goes on. I was going to say you could ask my wife about that. You could ask my wife about that. The expectation of who I am or what I would do or in married life may not be the reality of what happens. I do have to hoover and mop later on today. So I'll be doing that to keep up the reality, to ensure that my reality is that. But there are many times when the expectation and reality do not meet. And that's in a practical term in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our friendship circles. In all those ways, the expectations never quite are met in the realities of what happens. And the same could be said of Jesus for us. We, we link in, we're in the same position as those people who, who were on Palm Sunday, who were there the first Palm Sunday throwing down their coats and branches, in that the expectation for us often is not met by the reality in the way that we see. For those people back then, they had this expectation of freedom, but what they got was a bigger freedom, a freedom of forgiveness, a freedom of a relationship with God, which wasn't confined by the law, which wasn't confined by the legal requirements of the rules and regulations that had been created. They got freedom to worship and relate to God in a new way, which was much greater, which was much better 
than what they ever could have imagined. And yes, the physical, yes, those things were still there, but they received something better, which they couldn't see. And for us, the same often happens. We expect God to do certain things. We want him to change certain things. We want him to work in certain ways, heal in certain ways. We want him to act out in certain ways. We want him to vindicate in certain ways. We want him to bless us in certain ways. And often the reality doesn't happen. And that's probably why people are disillusioned with church, disillusioned with God, disillusioned with the idea of who he is and what he can do, because often our expectations aren't met in the way that we want. We might treat God like a little bit of a genie that when we want or expect something we kind of rub the lamp we'll maybe go to church we'll maybe pray in a certain way and if we do that in the right way then we'll get what we want our expectation will be met the reality will meet the expectation but often like Pam Sunday like the Easter story like the whole of the Christian faith it's not about what we want it's not about creating the God that we want it's about worshipping the God that is. It's about finding joy in that. It's about finding peace in that. It's about that becoming the reality and our expectations being brought into that and enveloped in that. When we settle for our own expectations, we'll actually not see the greater reality that is in work. We'll be able to see it in hindsight, but will not actually fully understand or fully appreciate or fully experience the reality that is there for us. And if we don't do that, we end up like the people in the road to mess. We end up like the people who walked away from the cross. We end up those people who are disappointed and disillusioned once again because God didn't act out when actually God is at something greater. God is at something better. God is at something more real for each of us it's just that we can't see it and so for us the challenge is to open our eyes to it to allow the reality of what God is doing around us not to be confined by the expectations that we have for what we want or desire or feel we need or feel we should have but actually the reality of God and who he wants us to be and what he bringing us into C.S. Lewis said that we are a divine work of art that God is creating we probably would paint it in a certain way and blot out the bits that we don't like and paint only the beautiful and wonderful and that might be all good but it wouldn't be the work of art that God seeks us to be and creates us into being. And so for us the challenge is that God through Jesus is bringing us into the greater reality as part of this triumphal entry and all that will happen over this coming week. And so for you, maybe it's that your expectations have to change Maybe it's that your view of God has to change. Maybe you have to start to realise who God is and put yourself in his control. Maybe it's that you have to let go. Maybe it's that you have to try and open your eyes to the reality, the bigger reality, the better reality of what is in store. But may you, my brothers and sisters, know the expectations that God has for you, for this place, for this creation, this world. And know the reality that lies in that. And may you see it with fresh new eyes and experience it with fresh new hearts. And know it as if for the first time this Easter. Grace and peace, my brothers and sisters.